Hey, I want to take a moment to introduce our guest today. He's a good friend of mine, him and his wife. Uh, we've been friends for at least five minutes. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I felt sorry. You know, he felt sorry for me. We became friends. It's all good. No, we've been friends for a long, long time. And uh, Ben and Rachel Miller are uh, pastors at Band Christian Fellowship out in Band, Oregon. Anyone ever heard of Band, Oregon? Anyone ever been to Band, Oregon? All right, listen, I know if you go on vacation, you're like, hey, I don't, I don't go to church, but can I encourage you to go to church, go to Ben Christian Fellowship. Uh, they don't have the space for you because God's blessing them. They're growing like crazy, uh, but that's okay. We'll go bless them if we're out there. But um, Ben has been a great friend, a great encouragement. You know how you need friends in your life that challenge you, that are just fun, that are courageous, that are out there doing things. That's who Ben and Rachel are to Jenny and I, and uh, they've been an amazing, amazing encouragement to us. They actually were missionaries in Ireland for five years and uh, moved back five, six years ago. Uh, they uh, took the church in about four and a half years ago. And I'm telling you, it's a thriving, dynamic, growing, bursting at the seams church, the kind of church you want to be around. But here's what I love most about this couple. They love Jesus. They love the local church. And they love people finding Jesus and coming into relationship with him. And that's the kind of people we want to be. And that's why I brought them in, because I wanted you to hear their heart as they share from God's word this morning. So ALC, would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet? Come on, up on your feet, put your hands together, and let's welcome Pastor Ben as he comes to share God's word. Thank you, thank you. Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? What a great place to be on Sunday, here in, in the house, in church together, and uh, I'm so honored to be here and uh, thankful. Gareth is a, see, Gareth has always been um, my friend, but I've just found out recently that, that he's, you know, that I'm his friend, uh, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, so anyway, uh, I always thought it was one-sided, you know, um, but I guess he likes me as well, so that's, that's good news. Gareth and Jenny are wonderful friends of ours. We've known them for, for a long time, and uh, man, I'm just so honored to be a part of what God is doing here at Abundant Life Church. What an incredible church, an incredible group of people. Every single person I meet, I'm just, I love their story. And I love what God is doing here uh, in this place. And um, I am born and raised Oregonian. This is my, <laughs> I know there's not a lot of them, but, we're, but if you're here, we celebrate. And uh, I, I was born in uh, Eugene. We actually pastored a church. Yes, there you go. And, um, and so we, when I was five years old, we moved to Bend, Oregon. My parents got radically saved. They met Jesus. Their whole life changed. And uh, they planted, after five years, they planted a church. Four families planted a church in, in Bend, Oregon. Three of those original families are still there with their kids and their grandkids. And uh, it's an awesome church. 1989 is when we, we, we jumped in to Bend. And it is, uh, we're so thankful that God has planted us there. And it's a good reminder that this is, this is our state. This is my state. You know, I don't know if you ever have friends that are leaving. feels like people are moving all the time and, uh, and leaving. But I got to remind myself, this is my state. I live here. God planted me here. This is where I'm going to grow. This is where I'm going to stay. And uh, nobody's getting rid of me. I'm here. I'm digging in like a tick, you know. And, uh, and this, is, this is my place. So uh, I'm just so thankful. Here's my family. I have a picture of my family up here. This is, I have five kids. This is on Mother's Day. We all got those Mother's Day tattoos with the, the really cool hearts and the arrows through them, you know. Uh, I have five great kids. My wife, Rachel, is here, and two of my boys are here in the service. And uh, I've been blessed with five kids. I love my kids. It is um, a lot of work. Uh, it is uh, a little bit of chaos, and, uh, but it's totally worth it. 
I love, love, love my kids. And so I'm just honored to be here, honored to be a part of your story, honored that, that uh, you'd even, even let me come and connect today. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I felt as I'm praying and, and preparing for even, even this weekend, I felt like the Psalm 100 was a Psalm for Abundant Life Church. I want to read it to you. Uh, and this is a Psalm for, for the last season and for the next season. It says this, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God and that he made us. We are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues through each generation. It's amazing. This is the story of Abundant Life Churches that from generation to generation, the word actually means from every new season to every new season. Maybe this is your first time here. Mine too. So uh, good to see you. But maybe you've also, like you are, you've been here so long, you're woven into the fabric and the history of this church. And what you have seen is you've seen God's faithfulness to this house, to, to, to you as a people through every generation, from every season over and over again. And the Lord is bringing abundant life into another season, to a new season. And what I love about Psalm 100 is in, in verse two, it really details out our, our job. His job is faithfulness. Through each season, each generation, our job is this, is to worship the Lord with gladness. To worship, it means to serve. It means to show up, to engage. It's a verb, to engage yourself, to worship, and to show up with gladness, which means joy. Your job, no joke, is to show up with a smile, is to actually engage your heart, engage your mind. Could you imagine what it would look like if everybody who showed up to church today had a smile? Instead of having to drag yourself, all right, I'll go, all right, I should go, I know I should go. If we all showed up and we engaged ourselves with gladness, with joy, and we made sure that we did our part because we know that in every new season, in every generation, our church now has three generations old. And it's beautiful to see the longevity and the faithfulness of everything that God is doing. And so I just want to encourage you, you have a story. And what God is doing here at Abundant Life is absolutely amazing for those outside of it to watch what God is doing. Because I, I get the privilege of being outside and watching your story from a distance. And it's really cool to see what this next season is going to look like for you. And to know that even God has brought Gareth and Jenny. And, and when, we, when we hear about the story of what God is doing at Abundant Life, and we know Gareth and Jenny, what we see is this beautiful match that God has actually brought, brought together and has brought the right people, and he's raising up the right people here in the house, and God has something incredible in store for Abundant Life Church. I'm just excited to watch. I'm excited to be a part in any way because God is doing an incredible thing. So thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. Our story started in 1989. As we said, I was, I was, I was uh, born in, in Eugene. We planted to bend in 1989. Uh, I was five years old at the time. So I always tell my dad that, that, that I planted the church and then I let him oversee it for the first 28 years, you know? Uh, and uh, we actually did a transition uh, in four, four and a half years ago where we transitioned father to son. And um, like any transition, it had its ups and it had its downs. And uh, it's been absolutely incredible. And, uh, and it, has, it has worked out to all of our business. My, my dad and mom are still at the church doing an incredible job. In fact, my dad... 
after we transitioned, I, I asked my dad, I said, okay, you can do anything you want. Like you've been here now at this point, you know, 28 years. Uh, you can do any ministry you want. You name it, hands down. You've been here, just, 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 just pick it. And he says, you know what I really want to do? Uh, I want to be on the parking team. All right, as far away from the stage as possible. Got it, you know, like, okay, I see what you're saying. No, he says, I want to be on the parking team. I said, why do you want to be? Sure, whatever you want. He said, I just want to drive the golf cart. I want to drive the golf cart. I want to be able to connect with people and I want to let them know that they just found an incredible home. This is the place that they should be. And it's like, all right, sweet. So he's on the parking uh, team and it's cool, uh, except for, you know, like recently, uh, he also got caught on the golf cart driving around with a gun on the golf cart while picking up people to go to church. And what are you doing? Like he gets flagged by security. They chase him out in the parking lot. And this old man is driving around in the golf cart with a gun on. And it's like, dad, you can't do that. You know, like, you know that that's not right to do. And uh, anyway, he's, uh, he's old and ornery, but uh, he is also very, very much honored in our house. He preaches periodically and uh, he is, um, he's an incredible man. I have awesome parents, and, and you know, it's, it's only to the history and the, the foundation, the strength, integrity of, of our church. I'm so, so thankful to be a part of it, and I'm thankful that my mom and dad are still there and, and serving. And so we have a, an incredible history, incredible. Uh, you know, my dad said this when we transitioned. I remember I, uh, I flew over from Ireland, and we had a one-on-one, and, and we were talking about the, the idea of transition. And, and he says, okay, we sat down, and we're, you know, we're two, two chairs facing each other, and he gets in close, and it's like, almost like he's going to grab my hands. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is getting awkward, you know? And, and uh, he's just real serious. He just looks at me and says, you got to promise me one thing. What, you know? He says, that, that you don't change anything for two years. <laughs> I just laughed. No. Any other, any other requests? Because that one's not going to happen. Like, are you, are you kidding me? You and I are change. You and me are a change. Like, I can't promise you. I, you know, like, I'll just do everything you would do for two years. I can't promise that. And the reality is each and every one of us, man, don't we just hate change? Like, the idea of change can, can, can make us so anxious and frustrated. And, and we do. We hate bad change. This idea that, that you show up to your favorite restaurant and they say, closed. What? What are you doing? You know, your, your favorite gym or all of a sudden they discontinue your favorite pants and you're thinking, am I that old? That all of a sudden the pants that I want, I should have bought in like bulk. Now I can't get them anymore. The moment a good friend comes and says, hey, I know we've been best friends for a year, but I'm leaving. I'm moving. I'm moving out of state. Man, those are the kind of changes that they just, they rock your world, don't they? And it's those kind of changes that we're just all hesitant of. We're all apprehensive. Why, why is it that Starbucks and Dutch Brothers in the exact same year decided to discontinue eggnog? Really? As if their clientele were not already emotionally fragile? 2021 is the year in which someone is going to make this great decision that eggnog is done? We never got away in on that. And I'm thinking, is it because they didn't make enough money with eggnog? No. Is there an eggnog shortage? I don't know. But who makes that decision? Oh, we're just going to take out eggnog company-wide. That's billions of dollars in eggnog sales from my family alone. (laughs) Why would you make such a poor decision as a business? I need something to be said. I think, why? We all hate the idea of reality as bad change. But good change... 
We can handle it. I love good change. You ever get a new car? I'm not complaining. You know, you're like, yes, this is awesome. You get a new house, new apartment, and you walk in, it smells new, you know? Not like they just shampooed the carpets to get rid of the cat smell, but like it smells new. And you're thinking, yeah, this is awesome. Like a new job, you walk in a new place, new desk, new office. New things are amazing. You repaint and you go, wow, this place looks good. Like when was the last time? They, and how amazing would it be if all of a sudden you showed up at your favorite restaurant and you're like, oh, a reprinted menu. And you're thinking, oh, <laughs> you know why they reprint menus? To change the prices. We all know that. Could you imagine if you get a brand new menu and they're like, yeah, we lowered all our prices. So we had to reprint the menu. Is anyone opposed to that? I'm not, because that's good change. And the reality is we're not afraid of change. We're, we're afraid of loss. We're afraid of losing those things that we love so dearly that we've become accustomed to and that we, we just want to hold on to. But we love the idea of gain. New change is okay for us. And so as a church, you know, we transitioned four years ago, and I remember I just said, we are going to change, and it's going to be okay because we're going to make good change. You know, as, and as, as we came in, I, we, we actually, my dad jokes that we changed everything. Like we repainted and we remodeled and, and we fixed up. We opened up, you know, closets that we hadn't seen in years and we cleaned them out. You know, we, we, we changed the coffee pot that took an hour and a half to make 50 cups of coffee. Yeah, a good change, right? And the new one makes it in four minutes and 38 seconds, 50 cups of coffee. There ain't no one complaining. Nobody has a complaint about that change, right? We got a lawnmower that when you, when you turn it, it actually turns on and fires, whoosh, like fires, as opposed to like, what am I going to do with this thing? How am I going to mow it? We, we made positive change. We made good change. We took four semi-loads of stuff <laughs> off the property. Four semi-loads. That was good change. And you know why we did that change? We did it so that we could make room. Because it is God's heart to fill his house. It is his intention to fill every parking spot, to fill every chair, to fill every life group. God's intention is, that, is, is to fill whatever we can make room for. So when we, we came back, we said, listen, here's what we're going to do is we are going to be serious about making change. We're, gonna, we're going to make room for our family. We're going to make room for your neighbors. My neighbors, when I had just moved back from Ireland, my neighbors needed Jesus. And there was no room to put them. And I, and I go, we have to make room for, for our coworkers, for people we go to the gym with, for, for people that we connect with. We have to make room. And so we spent time as a church, you know, doubling our parking lot and making more, you know, getting every chair that we could in the building. It's really funny because everybody's going like, you know, we don't need that room. Like the, the only person parking in the overflow was the pastor. You know, I'm like, hey, I'm here. And they're like, yeah, we just built this giant parking lot for who? You know, you? Is that what you're doing? You need a longer walk to church? Like, like what are you doing? And we were committed as a, as a church to really to make room. Why? Because we wanted to make room for people to connect with God, for people to experience true life change, and for people to experience joy in the house of the Lord. And we were serious about it. But we came to one final problem, one final piece of the pie and the reality is that each and every one of us was challenged because we had worked so hard to make room in the parking lot, to make room in kids' church, to make room in the sanctuary. But there was one final piece, and the question that it came down to that I had to wrestle with, we all had to wrestle with, was we, 
Were we willing to make room in our heart for more? Let me be honest with you. I have enough friends. Gareth is enough for me as a friend. That's all I need, right? I have five kids. I'm not looking for like, a ton. I don't need a ton more friends. But I know a ton of people who need Jesus. And when it came down to it, I had to wrestle with this question. And we as a church had to wrestle. We're going into a new season. This is why I love Psalm 100, is that God is going to be faithful in this next season. But it's my heart to engage in a way that says, okay, like, I, I, I'm willing to make room. And, you know, we close our hearts and we can go through seasons, whether it's at work, whether it's as a church or as a family, where we can get hurt, we can get wounded. We get wounded from our neighbors. And, and, and what the response is, we start to kind of close in ourselves and we go, you know what, like, I'm going to do what I need to. But I'm just kind of done reaching out. I'm kind of done having people over. Maybe I did that when I was younger. But I had to face this challenge. We all had to face this challenge. Are we willing? And this is the question, really, that God wants to ask you today. Are you willing to make room inside your heart? And not just room. Like I'm talking like, are you willing to have someone over to your house again? Like, we can make room in the parking lot. But is there room in your house? Is there room in your life? When was the last time you came to church and looked for someone you didn't know, not someone you did know? You said, hey, you guys have plans for lunch? Most of the restaurants are closed, but we could probably find one. When was the last time you actually made room? You know what? I'm going to lead a life group again. I'm going I'm to I'm go. I'm going I'm to do that again. I'm going to join a group. I'm going to get in the community. But we have to face this challenge inside of each and every one of us, is that when we've been hurt, when we've been wounded, and every one of us has just come, come, we're coming through hopefully, right? This is like these last couple years, I can just tell you, each and every one of us has been wounded in so many different ways. But what God has in store for this house is going to require that you don't just make room in here, but you make room in here. And that's a challenge that each and every one of us has to face. Wouldn't it be cool if like, we could gauge the capacity of this room? Not like look around and be like, okay, we have X amount of seats left. We can, we can actually put that many people in. But like, if we could read the actual capacity in this room of how much room is each and every one of our hearts, I'm willing to bet that there's capacity in this room larger than the chairs that are here. God will fill wherever we make room. And so we have to make room in our hearts. And I, you know, we've, we, we came back to one service and, um, and, and we, we spent probably a year, year and a half on one service, but then all of a sudden we realized like we actually need to make room. And so we made this transition from a one service to a two service church. <laughs> and it was like, that was a big deal for us. You know, it was a big deal for us because why? Because we're committed to making room. And it was like a year later, year and a half later, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're looking, I'm going, okay, I, I, we're not going to go to three services. I know we can't handle it. I know we can't do this. And, and uh, all of a sudden, it's like there was no physical room because obviously the people in the room had more than enough room in their hearts. But there was no physical room. And, and I remember I walked into a meeting and, and, and the whole staff and leaders look at me and they go, we're going to do it, aren't we? And I said, you know what? I'm committed. I'm committed to making room.
I'm committed to making room not just for my neighbors and my family and the people that I hang out with, but I'm actually committed to your neighbors as well. And I think we need to be committed to ourselves in this season. And we need to make room. You know, there's a world out there that is so hungry and desperate for Jesus. And we as the church hold life in our hands. And the one limiting factor will be our hearts, not our buildings. And so there's a challenge for each and every one of us today is to ask that. Am I willing to pray that prayer? Am I willing to actually open up my heart in such a way that says, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. I don't know what it looks like. And I know I haven't had people in my home. And I know I haven't had coffee with people. And I know I haven't reached out. But, but I'm willing in this next season to serve with gladness and to make room inside my heart. James presents a second problem that we see in you know, we saw it, we see it in our journey. I think actually every single one of us faced this. And um, James brilliantly puts this together, but he gives us this challenge. I want to read it to you. This is in James uh, chapter two, and uh, it's titled Faith Without Good Deeds is Dead. And he said this, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? What or can that kind of faith save anyone? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead. And useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you do not have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. He creates this problem, and the reality is every one of us has this problem, is that we have two things in our life, our belief and our actions. And those two little boogers can never seem to stay together. They walk away. Now, I had twins. First of all, we had three kids. And then on top of that, we decided to, we had, we had, okay, let's go for one more. And we got two more. And we got twins. So we have three young kids. And then we have twins. I remember changing the diapers. Like, you would put them both on the ground. And you start one, you stay. And you start one, and you start kind of trying to take this diaper off. Just about the time the poop is exposed, right? You're, you're sitting here, and this one starts to crawl off. So you grab the leg and pull them back, you know? Pull them back, stop it, don't move, you know, you get this. And then as soon as that one's done, the next one hits, stop this. You try and do this. And it's just like they're constantly going away from each other. And you're just, both of you sit, you know? I got to do this at the same time. And we'd go to the fridge. You go to the fridge, you get some apple juice. So I'd open up, I'd grab the apple juice, and here, this one hand, you know, let's walk over here. Next thing you know, the next one's at the fridge, dumping stuff out the fridge. You can't even get the apple juice before you're going back for the milk that's on the ground. And you're thinking, this is going to kill me. You know, like you hand them both bowls. Perfect. This is awesome. One goes, kabam, falls off the table. I'll clean it, no problem. And while you're cleaning it, it happens again. Like you're just, you're, we were constantly trying to keep like, oh, the chaos, you know? And they're, these two little boogers, they would just fight you. The moment you're talking to one, another one's biting you, you know, and you're just, stop that. They're just, they're like hound dogs or wolves. They, they just continue to work together, but totally separate. You cannot keep them in unity, you know? And the reality is we have these things in our life, our belief system, our relationship with the Lord, and our action. These two things, for some reason, we cannot seem to keep together. I mean, you go through the season, and it's like, you know, you, you give your heart. I, want, you know, I, mean, I, I just went through a season where I've connected with the Lord. I've been reading my Bible, and, and, and it's like, I just feel totally connected to what God's doing, and, I, and, and God is doing an amazing work in me. And then you look at your life, and you think, but, but there's also, like, people out there that so desperately need Jesus. And, 
And I, and I need to do that. So you end up running over here and you're like, okay, I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna give and I'm gonna jump on this thing. And as you serve, as you give, as you just, you realize like, I've lost my connection a little bit with Jesus. Like, like I feel like I'm out here now, now I feel like, like it's, it's getting harder, you know? And so I better go back. And it's like, to try and keep what we believe, our relational connection with Jesus and us continuing to act as a people of faith, it's like trying to keep these two things together is really, really hard. Now we know this. Uh, and the beauty is this. You don't have to go to church to know this. My neighbors uh, who have no clue about Jesus know this word. But if, if you are someone who believes, has relational connection with Jesus, but you just have no evidence in your life to back that up, what are you called? A hypocrite. You don't have to go to church to know that one. You're a hypocrite. If you believe, but it is not connected to any form of evidence or action, you're a hypocrite. But nowadays, equal opposite we see something also happening in the church. What we see is that if you are one that serves and loves and gives and shows up and gives everything, but you're sitting here and you have no relational connection to the why, no relational connection to Jesus, when people look at you, they don't see a hypocrite anymore. They see someone who looks like a slave. And when we see people who give their life in pursuit of helping others, but there's no belief system, no relational connection. You look like a slave. And so we tell people, hey, you should come to my church. It'd be amazing. This is what you hear. You, it's going to be amazing. You should come to my church. We're doing this outreach, and you should be a part of this group, and I'd love to connect with you. What they actually hear is, come die with me. You know, you think you're exhausted because of the work week. You should try exhausting yourself on the weekend as well. It's just as equally fun. You know? You could be stressed out like me. Come to church. And we can serve, we can act, we can be loyal. But if we don't have that relational connection, we look like we're just serving. And we're just slaving. And there's two things in our life that we're trying so desperate to just keep together. What we believe and how we act. I can tell you, in this last season of my life, I have been told over and over and over again, every place we go tells us how to act. I'm tired of being told what to do without having a connection of why. We don't want to live like that. And you know what? When people see you and we're a beautiful reflection of who God is to our community and to our neighbors, do they see a hypocrite? Someone who believes in Jesus but there's just no proof in your life that you actually do anything with it? Or do they see someone who just serves and loves and gives their life for a cause, but they can't see the deep connection and why? And they just go, I don't know if I necessarily want that. James gives us the solution. And he says this in verse, chapter 2, verse 21. He says, do, you know, he said uh, do, don't you remember your ancestor Abraham? He was shown to be right with God by his actions. And when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see his faith and his actions worked together. And his actions were made complete in his faith. And we see that when, when what we believe and what we do actually work together, it, there's something clicks and all of a sudden we operate in something called fullness and full strength. That word work together means full strength. And when you are living a life and all of a sudden those two things click, what happens inside of you and inside of me is we all of a sudden become whole. We go to full strength. We are operating now in energy. 
Instead of, instead of like, I have no energy, I can't do this, or I have a ton of energy, I love it, I want to do something, I just don't know what to do. All of a sudden, when those two things can be held together, we start operating with energy, with purpose, with joy, with full strength in everything that we are doing. That is the goal as we look to be an example of who Christ is to our community. Because when people look at you and they hear little things about you, they're asking the question, who is the Jesus that you say that you're connected to? And when they see you, do they see someone who's in full strength? Do they see a community that's operating in full strength that says we are so relationally connected to Jesus and our desire is to make sure that we are reaching people with the message of Jesus. We're reaching people who are far from God and we want to bring the two together. And so we as a people have to wrestle with this idea. We have to wrestle with keeping what we believe and how we act so close together. Like it's our heart and that we look like Jesus to our neighbors, to our coworkers, that we look like we are actually enjoying what we're doing. Not like faking it. Not like well, you, I, you don't enjoy it. Like I can see that. The reality is when people see us, when you see someone who's operating in full strength, it's inspiring. It is inspiring. And I've seen it over and over in my life when people are operating in full strength, their neighbors actually come to them. We've had this. Our neighbors will come to us. People will come in and they actually ask the question, can I, can I please come to your church? And I was supposed to invite you. This is like Christianity 101. Can I please come to your church? Can I, can I please? Why? Because when we are operating in full strength, when we are relationally connected to Jesus, and we are missionally connected to his heart. That, when that happens, is when the world looks on at the church and says, whoa, I need that. Can we have a piano player come up? I just want to challenge you in these two things. The first one is to ask yourself this question. Am I willing to make room in here? Am I willing to open up my house again? To open up my time again? Am I willing to reach out and connect with somebody that I don't know? Am I willing to walk across the street and reconnect with that neighbor that I am not connected with? Will you make room? That's the question that Jesus is asking each and every one of us. And I guarantee you, we've seen it time and time again. It's in his scripture. Whenever we make room in here or here, he fills it. And he fills it with people who need Jesus. And then when they meet us, the hopes and the heart behind it is that they meet a people where the actions and their beliefs are linked together. That they see the church, they see you and I operating in full strength, operating in hope, operating in peace, and operating in joy, living with joy. This is God's heart for this house, is that he would find a people that are deeply relationally connected with Jesus and so connected to the heart and the mission of people who are far from God. We live in a desperate world. 
And I don't know the last time you connected with someone at your job or in your neighborhood. People are broken. They don't have answers. They don't hold hope. Hope isn't something that comes from a society. It's something that comes from Jesus. And we hold the key to unlocking life in our community. You do. Is your neighborhood horrible? (laughs) You hold the key to change your entire neighborhood and your workplace. Inside of you, if we would work together and be so connected to the heart of Jesus and that we would make room inside. We as a people, we believe this. We believe that Jesus came and took our place. That he took our penalty for the sin that we had created, that we had committed. He came and he took that penalty. He paid that price. And then he turned around in return and he offers you and I a gift. Today, but then every day. And that gift is called life. And you, there are some that choose to pay the penalty on their own. They want to cover their own bill. In pride, they say, hey, listen, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to cover my own bill. But Jesus has paid a price for us, and it costs us nothing. And so the decision that sits before you today and every day that you wake up from here on out is the choice of life or death. And we are a people who continue to choose life. And because of his goodness, because of his sacrifice, because of everything that he has done, we now have the ability to wake up every new day and walk in life. Romans 10, 9 says this, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there we find it again. Belief and confession and action working together to bring life. God's desire is to bring life to this community and not just life. From what I hear, abundant life to this community. And it happens when you make room. And it happens when you let God work inside of you so that he can work through you. Let's pray. God, may we be a community that is so deeply in love with you. We're so deeply in love with your word and so deeply in love with life. God, I pray for anyone here today who maybe you've never made that choice to choose life, to let, to let Jesus pay your penalty in your way. Today's a great day. And if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, this is that you will be saved. And I guarantee you this will change the trajectory of your entire life and your eternity. It is the best decision that you can ever make. And it's a conversation between you and him. And if you make that choice today, I want to encourage you to tell someone. Tell the person who brought you. Tell someone down here on a prayer team. Tell someone that you met new at church today. And confess with your mouth. Go tell your friends. Go tell your neighbors. And tell everyone about Jesus. Lord, would this be a place that a house that has more capacity in their hearts than they do in their building and parking lot. Lord, would you increase our hearts to love 
those around us to love as deep as you did and to open up our homes and our lives. God, thank you that now in this new season, you will continue to be faithful. You will continue through generation and generation and season and season. God, would we take it upon ourselves to show up and to serve the Lord with gladness and to let our beliefs in our life connect together. God, we choose to say yes to you in this season. Is your heart and your intent to fill everything that we make room. We love you. Give our hearts and our minds to you today in Jesus' name.